0: On this special episode of the ASC podcast with John Gailey, we visit the New York State Association of ASC's Fall Conference on September 29th and 30th in Terrytown, New York, and we meet with the leaders to discuss current issues in the ASC industry in New York.
1: Welcome to the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, the longest-running podcast specifically focused on the freestanding ambulatory surgery industry. This episode is sponsored by Surgical Information Systems, providing cutting-edge information solutions for surgery providers and ambulatory healthcare strategies, the nation's leading regulatory compliance resource for ambulatory surgery centers. For more information about our sponsors, please visit our website at ASCPodcast.com.
0: Welcome to episode 144 of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey for November 4th, 2021. Recording from Hilton Head Island and from the New York State Association of Ambulatory Surgery Centers Fall Conference held in Terrytown, New York on September 29th and 30th. This is Susan Cronkite, Chief Researcher for the ASC Podcast with John Gailey and Senior Nurse Consultant for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. Joining me is John Gailey, the owner of Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies and recognized as one of the nation's leading experts in the ambulatory surgery industry. Mr. Gailey is the author of over 10 books on the ESC industry, and a frequent industry speaker on regulatory accreditation and finance issues.
1: So we're recording in our temporary studio here in uh, Hilton Head Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody is feeling sorry for us, I assume, <laughs> uh, for being down here. Uh, but unfortunately, when I packed up all the equipment to bring down here, I, I have the full studio minus... All yep. of the cables that we need in order to actually make any of that equipment work. So yeah.
0: a huge case, <laughs> a huge case,
1: something crucial. And we dragged it all the way up here into mm-hmm. the, the condo, and and uh, I just took it back down again. Yeah. So so we apologize for the uh, quality of the sound here. It's not quite what we would expect. And our goal on our guess we should call it a vacation uh was to record three episodes of the podcast we're going to be able to get two out i think two of the mm-hmm. special episodes but but it has been a while uh, in getting this episode together for the New York State Association meeting there was a lot going on we were able to do a number of interviews not as many as we normally do mm-hmm. uh but they're they're great interviews here and we we're able to talk to the leadership also and, Sue, it was a great conference. I know you spent quite a bit of time manning the registration desk. We had eight mm-hmm. of our employees from ambulatory Healthcare Strategies there, but yep. one of the things that we do as part of the conference is, you know, man a registration desk, and have, I think you were actually involved in screening people too,
0: right? Yep, a couple of us were, and that, you know, so that was much more time-consuming than normal, but we wanted to make sure everybody was safe. We checked yeah. vaccine cards. Um, if not, we were, you know, we needed a negative test, and we, right. you know, made sure everybody was wearing masks, all that Yeah, Yeah. it was, uh, it
1: was a pretty safe conference and, uh, you know, we followed all the rules that are required in New York. It was a little, it was different having to wear a mask for everywhere, of course, and going through the testing, but uh, but I think we definitely felt safe. And of course, the, the sessions were great. Uh, a lot of the planning was done um, with this great planning committee that we have at the New York State Association. I'm a member of it. Alex Borneman, who is our Director of Operations, Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, kudos for him. He He's the one that puts together uh, so much there. He, he makes sure that we gather all of the uh, presentations, arranges for all of the AEU credits with, uh, you know, for the uh, people that are Cask certified. And uh, uh, thank you, Alex, for, for all the hard work you put into to doing that. Uh, and then we had quite a number of panel discussions, more than I think we normally do. Uh-huh. Uh, I, th- and those panel discussions, I was uh, often uh, one of the, the panelists on there. I had a lot of fun doing those. And Sue, what was the biggest question that was being asked throughout the whole, almost every panel discussion?
0: Everybody had questions about the vaccine mandates. It's been a really big thing here in New York.
1: Yeah, and of course, as we're recording this today, uh, the federal mandate came out too, which will take effect in, in January. So uh, there was always a lot of questions, so much confusion about it. Things are starting to clear up a little bit. But mm-hmm. uh, we also got to meet a lot of the vendors, a lot of our friends um, that we work with on a, on a regular basis. And it's nice to be able to see them in person. And they were very anxious to get out and see the people that they haven't been able to see for quite a while. Um, we um, we were able to interview a few of the speakers, and we're going to have some of those uh, not only for this uh, mm-hmm. special episode, but we'll have them for some of our national episodes also yeah. um, because, I, you know, some great conversations uh, uh, that we had during the, uh, the conference there and, and while we had an opportunity to, to uh, speak with them. And then we also had an opportunity to speak with Jeff uh, okay. Flynn and uh, John Van Volkenberg about the activities of the State Association. Mm-hmm. So let's take a short break, and we'll come back, and we'll listen to those interviews. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey. But did you know that you can enhance your experience and support the free podcast by becoming a patron member? Patron members have access to ASC Central and add-on service at a very reasonable price. Patron members have access to our regular drop-in virtual meetings where you can discuss issues that you are dealing with in your ambulatory surgery center with the hosts and other members. Members also have access to valuable member resources, including a a document library with a growing list of resources, including the rules and regulations, guides to maintaining compliance, example policies and procedures, infection control resources, example risk assessments, example committee and governing body minutes, and over 60 disaster drill scenario kits and example forms and checklists. Members also have access to some of the virtual conferences that we have presented, including the Provider Credentialing Conference, which we offered in December 2020. It's a New World Conference in 2020, Infection Control in Service to Meet the Challenges of COVID-19, and the ASC Mandatory Education Program, which is a valuable resource for annual education for your staff. Membership helps to defray the costs of producing the podcast, including the research staff, travel costs to conferences, equipment costs, and production costs. For more information, you may visit ASCPodcast.com. To become a member, visit ASCPodcast.com. So our first interview was with our dear friend, Bill Prentiss, who uh, is with the ASC Association, or ASCA, and he did a general session on what's going on in the national scene, uh, both from a regulatory standpoint as well as, you know, from a political standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill has always been a great friend of ours. Uh, I've been on his podcast. He's on ours uh, f- frequently. Uh, while we, uh, when we did the interview, we had hoped that we were going to be able to get a, another interview with Kara Uh Unfortunately, we're not able to do that. And as we're recording, Recording this uh, today, which is uh, November 4th, the 2022 payment rule came out. So we're going to have a special episode shortly that will cover that. So Bill will be referring to, in this interview, the, uh, the proposed agreement, uh, which, of course, by the time you actually hear this, the final one will come out. But uh, a lot of the, the information that uh, was in the proposed ended up in the final one. So let's listen to this interview with Bill. So this is John Gailey. I'm here uh, with uh, Bill Prentice, who's the um, chief executive officer of ASCA. (laughs) And Bill, it's great to see you. It's been two years. Can you believe it since you've been on the podcast?
2: It, it, it has been a long time, John. It's been a long two years two for years. everyone, and I'm very pleased to be able to look you in the eye and, and not be doing this by Zoom.
1: Yeah, we've seen each other a lot over the last year in, in, in Zoom, but uh, it, there's nothing like actually being in a real place. And we're recording uh, actually live from uh, New York State Association meeting in Terrytown. so you just finished the, a great session. Uh, it was so funny. When I heard that you were going to be doing slides, I said, how was that even possible. And you
2: are so uh, anti-PowerPoint. It was a challenge, I will tell you. And I I had real trouble clicking through the slides. So I appreciate everyone's indulgence uh, with that. I was using uh, some great slides and some great data uh, collected by Kara Newberry, our Director of Government Affairs. And I don't think that will be the way I do things generally because it (laughs) it was stressful. But very much appreciate being at the New York meeting. I think that uh, John Valkenberg and the board at the association have done a great job in really pulling things together and really look forward to working with you.
1: Thank you very much. And and thank you for so much for from ASCA, you know, what you've done during the pandemic. You know, I am so tired of talking about the pandemic. So I'm not going to ask you questions about the pandemic in general, except I do want one way to start out. And, you know, we're going to talk to Karen Noberry about the details of the 2022 payment rule. And well, I'll ask you a couple things, but more legislative uh, from that standpoint. But can you kind of give us a feel for what it's like in Washington right now? Uh, What the attitude has the attitude changed in any way toward ASC since the pandemic, or as a result of the pandemic?
2: Well, that's a great question, and I don't have a really firm answer to that that yet, and I think it's going to take a little bit of time to mm-hmm. shake out how the, the new administration, obviously we've only had the Biden administration since the end of January, um, about whether or not they learned anything about what ASCs were able sure. to do during the pandemic in terms of our ability to continue to provide care safely. Um, off the campus of an inpatient hospital, which may have been dealing with, uh, you know, an influx of, of COVID patients. You know, I, I, have a, I have a sense that by the end of the last administration, they did have, I think, a better understanding of the role that ASes could play mm-hmm. in providing care, and I think did appreciate the fact that having a decentralized healthcare system that has places where people could get care that are away from a site of service they may be dealing with Mm -hmm. an infectious disease like a pandemic was a good thing. Uh, And I'm hoping that that sense will carry forward into this administration and that they will understand the value of of having places like ASes to provide care to patients while inpatient hospitals may be dealing with other things.
1: Well, and and that's one of the things that we've been uh, talking about quite a bit is how hopefully one lesson that we've learned and we're sitting in New York, probably one of the States that's had one of the uh, most difficult times with, um, with hospitalization. I mean, even before the pandemic hospitals in New York, even during non flu seasons, we're running 100% capacity. And we're hoping that the administration here in New York, at least, has learned the lesson that hospitals need to be available for those types of things, uh, or for, you know, to be able to handle those influxes, those, those uh, increases, uh, during those times. And we're part of that solution.
2: Yeah. And, and for example, uh, some people may be aware of the Hospital Without Walls program yeah. that was created on the fly, you know, in the first few months of the pandemic as a way for ASEs to provide care to patients that we otherwise wouldn't be regulated to see. Correct. And basically to serve as a hospital Uh, be reimbursed as a hospital under Medicare as a way of, of helping to deal with the pressures Mm -hmm. in, in a given marketplace because hospitals being overrun with COVID patients. One of the things that, that I pointed out to this new administration, uh, in a Zoom call that Karen and I had, uh, not too long ago was to, to not lose sight of the fact that this program, which I think was inartfully Developed because mm-hmm. it was done on the fly to no to no one's fault, uh, but could have been done better and and allowed for ASCs to provide more care during the pandemic than mm-hmm. than they did. Now, some of the reasons that the program didn't work is because, quite honestly, the hospitals weren't willing to to, to move patients. Like oh, right. you know, even if a ASC signed up to become a hospital without walls, that hospital was really resistant to trying to to mm-hmm. move patients out of their setting to somewhere else but that a program like that should be kept alive, um, because not only God forbid could we have another yeah. pandemic or this pandemic and could could worsen where we would need that in some places, but I think it'd be a great program uh, to deal with other emergencies on mm-hmm. a more you know local or regional basis. You know, a flood, a hurricane, you know, where the hospital is consumed and to have the ASC or other outpatient settings be available to see more patients really makes sense. So I, I hope that the Biden administration will will look to that program, look to improve it and keep it you know applicable. Not just for something like a COVID-19 national health emergency, Mm -hmm. but for other like more localized or regional emergencies where a hospital is overwhelmed and patients need care.
1: Right. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about, to the best of my knowledge, uh, and certainly I'm not aware of any centers in New York that actually became a hospital during that time, or at least they're not members of the association. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about some of the successes? or I mean, you mentioned briefly, but uh, uh, did those centers find it a favorable experience? Uh, have they had any challenges with that?
2: You know, I've only heard anecdotal yeah. evidence because it really wasn't widely used right. because it, it was very complicated and in the process of, of being licensed as a hospital and convincing yeah. your Medicare contractor to recognize right. you and such. We're now obviously dealing with the situation of ASEs that now want to convert back and what mm-hmm. that's going to be like. Um, I, I really think that it was – it for for a lot of reasons mostly for the positive because most markets mm-hmm. we did not see the hospital be overwhelmed once we kind of right. got our feet under us as a country i think new york obviously early in the pandemic the mm-hmm. exception that uh, that it hasn't had to be you know used very often right Right, so uh, during your session, you actually used the term
1: "stupid," which you know you're such a gentleman. I, I was, I, I think people were actually shocked, but it was funny because we were talking about the copay uh, cap, uh, which is one of those provisions in the. Uh, well, it's, it's actually been there for a while, but it's becoming more prominent. Talk a little bit about the cap and what you're going to try to do with that.
2: Sure. For for those who don't know, um, there has been for a decade or more a cap on the amount a beneficiary pays as a copay when Mm -hmm. they get a procedure performed in the hospital. And I think it's a little over $1,400 right now. So regardless of the cost of the procedure the the beneficiary is receiving, she's not going to pay more than $1,400. In dollars, roughly, right. um, as an out-of-pocket expenditure for that in there, a hospital. In a hospital, there right. is no cap on a copay in the ASC setting. Mm-hmm. Now, historically, you know when the hospitals received that that copay cap, um, ASCs really weren't performing expensive procedures Mm -hmm. where patients were likely to hit that cap we now are Mm -hmm. and so there are you know plenty of procedures that we're doing now total knees total hips spine procedures you know i could go on Mm -hmm. where the patient responsibility exceeds that 1400 dollars. what that means is is that we're in the perverse situation where a patient will choose to get care in a more expensive setting Mm -hmm. with a more expensive total cost to us as a taxpayer because it's going to cost him or her less. Right. That is stupid. Right. (laughs) Well said. So what we need to we need Congress to to pass a law to apply that copay cap to uh, Medicare beneficiaries in the ASC space. You know, one because it's, it the benefit only goes to the beneficiary in terms of saving mm-hmm. you know them money, um, but it also does not then create this perverse disincentive mm-hmm. for a beneficiary to get in a, a care pr- uh, provided in a setting that costs less to the Medicare program and less to the taxpayer. Well, and that brings me to the the
1: next topic, which is uh, here we are sitting um, I think the end of September right now. I have no. Concept of time anymore, and uh, Congress right now, as we're recording this, is debating an infrastructure bill at three point five billion dollar, a trillion dollar, um, you know, substantial expansion of our uh, social network here. And uh, we have an important message to get across as we try to figure out how, as a nation, we try to figure out how to uh, finance all of these, uh, um, these you know, in some cases like infrastructure, very necessary things. Uh, how are we doing in getting our message that we can, we can? Solve of course, part of it is that we're such a, a tiny part of that. But yeah. go talk about that a little
2: well, bit. Well, sure. Well, it, 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 that's a great point. We're actually um, hoping for our ASC legislation to be introduced this week, mm-hmm. both the House and Senate. We've got great uh, bipartisan um, sponsors in both the House and Senate. And you're right, it is hard to get through the clutter in mm-hmm. the best of times. And right now, with uh, obviously a horribly divided mm-hmm. country politically, uh, and that that divide exists in Congress as well, where yeah. it's you're really hard to see members of Congress reaching across the aisle and working together on issues mm-hmm. and dealing with these big issues in front of the country that like right now, like the bipartisan infrastructure package is about. A, billion uh, billion dollars or excuse me trillion. one trillion dollars <laughs> one trillion dollars uh that they're trying to pass this week uh, mm-hmm. and then the three and a half trillion dollar um other package you know it's hard to get people's attention yeah but i think i am gratified to see that you know on our legislation we do have republicans and democrats right. introducing these bills in both houses together uh, and so i do hold out hope that, you know, we'll find an opportunity this year as some must piece of bill uh, mm-hmm. of legislation is moving through that we're going to get some or all of our provisions attached to that and mm-hmm. get them enacted into law.
1: I think one of the frustrations I've seen in the last two years too, is how, uh, the delays in getting the update done i think I, I don't remember when it hit i have talked to care talk to about what you know the uh the july 1st the payment proposal program. didn't come out until mid-july of course last yeah. year it came out in august but uh, do you think there's any chance that this isn't gonna come out any sooner in in november um
2: the, the light no the, i think the likelihood is it will come out out on or about november 1 i think i okay. think we did see some some you know, delays in the past two years for mm-hmm. a variety of reasons in terms of the timing of our things coming out which used to be Pretty much like clockwork, right, right. Um, but, but I don't think there'll be a delay. I, I expect that we'll get it. You know, November one, and we'll have those those two months to hopefully, you know, get things in place to apply any new requirements and yeah. the new new payments. And obviously, the um, ASCA's uh, Medicare rate calculator will be updated and available yeah. to members so that they can uh, make sure they're being reimbursed properly.
1: Well, and I just want to remind remind our listeners that last year we scheduled our finance and accounting seminar. Uh, in December thinking that we would have plenty of time to review it and it, during the seminar that's when the payment rule came out it was kind of a fascinating and uh, yeah. frustrating time. I, I'm, good, I'm, good I good think I'm that.
2: optimistic that it will come out on time.
1: Wonderful so uh, talk just briefly as I said we're going to have uh, Kara get into the real details uh, with us but talk a little bit about what you felt um, were our successes this year and of course there were quite a bit of frustrations with the payment rule and what it means to us.
2: Yeah, I I think if I look back at at the entire year, I I think that the most important thing that we did is I think we showed to policymakers, both at the federal and state level, Mm -hmm. that ASCs could maintain safe, high quality environments, Mm -hmm. even in the middle of a public health emergency, even even dealing with a pandemic Mm -hmm. that none of us have ever lived through. Um, like this um, So I, I think we did ourselves Very proud And and it wasn't You know the, Obviously the association I think did a great job Of mm-hmm. promoting this And making people aware of this But it was actually The ASCs themselves And the quality of care They provide And the way mm-hmm. that they They did it During the most Trying of circumstances With all the You know Regulatory pressures That were being applied the, You know The suspension of Case Elective of care For a while The financial cost That only went up The additional mm-hmm. You know, burdens placed on in terms of social distancing and masking and Mm -hmm. more terminal cleaning, all of those things. And the fact that we will provide so much care, And while we're not back to 100% yet, Mm -hmm. and and obviously there's still a lot of delayed care that we still need to to see. We still need to make sure those patients get into the facility and get that care because uh, we know that there's a health price to be paid by Mm -hmm. delaying and postponing procedures. I think that was first and foremost the most important thing we did. And then secondly, I, I think that, you know, both with the prior administration, with this new administration, I think we are putting our best foot forward in terms of, of educating them on the value of the ASC model and and not just the great things we've done. But the additional great things we could be doing with on more and more patients on more yeah. and more procedures if we only have the opportunity you know y- y- as you may have heard me mentioned if we could only you know we only do about 50% of the screening colonoscopies yeah. on medicare beneficiaries and we could be safely priced doing 95% of those mm-hmm. if we just took the top 6 you know most common gi codes that we do mm-hmm. and we got that 95% Um, Migration of care to our setting On those six procedures alone We would save the Medicare program More than one and a half billion dollars a year Mm-hmm. So if you apply that to all the things that we could be doing, and particularly more expensive procedures than than just the, the colonoscopies, we could be saving the taxpayers billions and billions mm-hmm. of dollars each year. Dollars that could be used to provide you know other services that you know Medicare beneficiaries want. Mm-hmm. You know, we keep hearing about you know uh, Congress talking about adding dental and vision and hearing care to to Medicare. Well. You know, if they could find a way to migrate more of our care to our setting, that's freeing up dollars that could be used to yeah. expand Medicare for those services.
1: Absolutely. I guess we can't avoid talking about vaccine mandates. Since that's the the new t- topic, do you have a feel for uh, where we might be heading at a national level? Of course, uh, we're sitting in New York, and New York has a, a whole issue. But uh, we're actually talking to a national audience here. What what is? Uh, I'm not going to put you too much in the spot to make a prediction. But what is your feeling right now as to where we're heading?
2: Well, obviously, I think we're we're waiting for the the final. Rule to come out in mm-hmm. October, you know, we obviously all heard the announcement that the broad strokes of it of applying it to all healthcare care settings into mm-hmm. businesses with 100 or more employees, I, I, you know, ask it doesn't have a formal position mm-hmm. on it that the one thing I would I, that my one thought on it is, is having a nat- whatever the requirement is having to be mm-hmm. national rather than local or state. Yeah at least makes it consistent and i think you know i know we're all dealing with staffing shortages Mm -hmm. and the complications of mandates in specific industries specific companies specific states about uh vaccines and the impact that's playing at least if it's national i think it makes it fairer for all employers in terms of dealing with it but i am hearing of the you know staff shortages that we're experiencing the rising cost um, of, of those, you know, staff expenses as a result. And that's something that I think we need this administration. We need this Congress to, to be paying attention to that, right. you know, uh, a vaccine mandate, you know, may make sense, but it has consequences. And right. There's consequences in terms of people who are going to refuse to, to get the vaccine and then, you know, choose other employment. Um, you know, get out of
1: healthcare, you get out of, yeah. And, and,
2: and look, we don't have enough physicians and nurses Mm -hmm. to provide all the care this country needs right now. So if, 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 you know, Congress or the administration is going to take a position that's going to make that more difficult, Mm -hmm. they better also help us come up with a solution for that so that we have the healthcare workforce this country needs, Mm -hmm. um, to be able to provide the care that everyone wants. And that sounds like a good way to end. As always,
1: Bill, it's great to have you on the podcast. Appreciate your time.
2: Well, thank you, John. It's a pleasure. Uh, I wish you well and look forward to working with you in 2022 and beyond. Absolutely.
1: Our next interview was with, uh, there's actually two interviews here one with Value Health and one with AON. Uh, regarding the evolution of value-based contracting. So, Sue, so this was an interesting discussion. There was, uh, and, and it was very well received by the, uh, the audience there as we're, uh, moving into the next era, which will involve value-based contract. In other words, uh, where, uh, insurance companies pay us based upon how successful the procedures are. And it's a very complex situation. It's also something that you know, I've been in the industry for 30 years, as I've mentioned many times. Um, and during that time, we've heard about uh, you know, this this is something that's going to happen. I, I and I I've, I've always been skeptical about when it will actually happen. But when you listen to these two interviews here, you'll see that it's coming down. You know, pretty soon. So let's listen to these interviews with Value Health and AON. So this is John Gailey here. I'm, I'm at the New York State Association Conference in Terrytown, and I'm with Dan Tassett with Value Health, who, uh, just finished an incredible, uh, session. Probably one of the best received sessions that, that we've had so far. Of course, it's only the beginning of the day, but, but it was a, it was a great start for our conference and certainly one of the more interesting, Issues that we're dealing with nationally is how we interface with our, our patients and and the value of the healthcare services that are being offered and how we use uh, artificial intelligence, for example, to generate uh, valuable information for healthcare. So, Dan, tell us about what you do, your company, and you know where we're heading.
3: Yeah, great. Thank you, John. Thank you for having me. And um, yeah, so the parent company um, is a venture capital company called Nutera Capital. We're headquartered mm-hmm. in Kansas City. Um, We invest in companies, mostly early stage uh, or uh, startup companies, and they're all in healthcare, in the Mm -hmm. provider space as well as technology space um that means we have to get really good at not only innovation but we got we got to get really good at looking forward mm-hmm. being able to predict what the future looks like otherwise we won't have a lot of success with those startup companies as you know the success yeah. rate on startup companies is very low ours is extremely high because we do our team does a good job of predicting the future mm-hmm. one of the companies that we have an equity stake in is called value health and mm-hmm. it's really related more to the specific to this conference the ASC right. industry which is obviously the topic of the discussion here today. So, what
1: uh, what does uh, Value Health bring to the ASC industry? How can it help us as we move forward?
3: Yeah, the company is focused on really two things. One of them is consumerism mm-hmm. uh, and value based care uh, across healthcare, but specifically here, value based care uh, in the surgical arena, and mm-hmm. specifically here with the ambulatory surgery centers. So let's start
1: by uh, talking about uh, where we are with consumerism. I mean, right now, the consumer is starting to get a lot more power in healthcare. I mean, in the past, that hasn't right. always been the case. And, uh, you know, in the past, we we as uh, surgery centers could rely upon uh, the doctor to bring us all the cases. You know, the doctor says he wants it at such and such surgery center, the patient goes there. Uh, but that's changing. It is. As people start to have choices out there, as there is more competition among ambulatory surgery centers and, and competition between hospitals and surgery centers. So how can we benefit? From that.
3: Yeah. Well, I think you start with the whole discussion around who the consumer is in healthcare. So mm-hmm. if you compare it to other industries and you say, what is the interface and how is consumerism? impacted other industries you would say well look at itunes uh Mm -hmm. the the interface between the provider of music Mm -hmm. and the consumer of music has changed that entire industry uber's changed the ride sharing industry by having this interface between those that provide the ride and those that need a ride Uh, amazon has done the same thing in the consumer goods industry so as we look at consumerism what what we try to look at is say what's happening in that space in between how do how do we Uh, are able to, what can we do to make this more of a Mm consumer-friendly type of an industry? And as you suggested, most of the referrals in the past have come from the uh, physicians themselves. That's beginning to change, and it's Mm -hmm. changing uh, a lot in other markets, meaning the now on the consumer side, now you you have something very unique compared to other industries, and that is in the consumer category, you not only have the patient themselves, but you have the payer, the employer, you have the federal government. Um, Medicaid, Medicare, et cetera, et cetera, that are really kind of makes this a little bit more complex and complicated. However, if you put all of those in the consumer category, the whole idea behind consumerism is getting the patient, mm-hmm. the ultimate consumer of healthcare, to care as much about cost mm-hmm. as they do clinical quality and patient satisfaction or convenience. Mm-hmm. So the high, I, the idea behind high deductibles and co-pays, is really how do we get the consumer, the patient, to care as much about Mm -hmm. the cost. And I think that's where ultimately the, the idea of consumerism comes in. Because if you look at, you say... Somebody, when was the last time you made a purchase of consumer goods? When did you buy clothing? Mm-hmm. When did you buy a car? When did you buy a piece of technology? Generally, we always look at cost. We look at how mm-hmm. good it is, quality, and how that product makes us feel or how we interact. Mm-hmm. In healthcare, generally speaking, in the past, if you were to ask people, when was the last time you consumed healthcare? I would say, yeah, I checked to make sure that a good clinical, I make sure it was convenient for me. Right. But did they even look at cost? That whole dynamic or has changed. They, were now. they
1: even aware about the cost? Right, of even it, aware yeah. of the or, cost, or was that information even available to them?
3: Well, that's the whole idea right. behind you know price transparency with the federal government and yeah. and portability of health records, and all of that is about you know empowering the consumer. Yeah. Now employers are much more advanced in this because. You know they're designing their their benefit packages to mm-hmm. make the, their employees care about cost. Right. High deductible, high copay plans, and therein is the beginning of how the surgery centers of the future are going to receive those mm-hmm. consumers. Is because they're going to be directed by the employer uh, to come to the facilities, and they'll waive copays and deductibles mm-hmm. if you'll use a lower cost facility, or better yet, a facility that actually does value based care.
1: I find it interesting. to Use the idea. The uh, uh, you, you mentioned iTunes. Uh, if we look at what iTunes did, they removed the middleman there. They you know brought the the uh, the consumer and the producer of that music closer together. I think that's Absolutely. what you're talking about here. Is that we're it's removing that thing. middleman exactly. here exactly. also? Yeah. So how do we get this message across? I mean, that was a big topic of the conversation after you came down off the podium, I know. Right. Uh, and, and to a certain degree while you were on the podium. you know, So how do we get this message across? We have an incredible message in the ASC industry about cost and quality. Uh, and we're challenged, of course, in this industry to develop – Uh, I I like to say, we've been working so hard at providing quality care, we haven't been doing a great job of actually trying to define what it is and provide statistics. So we're getting there. So what more could we do in this industry to to help our cause?
3: Well, what I would want to encourage all the listeners and anybody in the the healthcare industry in general, but specific to the ASC industry, is always think about how do you improve the value delivered to the consumer, to the patient, to Mm -hmm. the payer, to the employer, to the employee? How do you improve the value? So you have, and that should be really a battle cry every day. So Mm -hmm. the first thing you have to do is define what does value mean? Mm -hmm. I think we talk too much about just clinical quality by itself, or we Mm -hmm. talk too much, you know, about price transparency. To me, value equals clinical quality, clinical Mm -hmm. outcomes, plus patient satisfaction Mm -hmm. divided by cost. So the numerator is clinical quality and patient satisfaction, and the denominator is cost. Mm -hmm. So we always want to improve the numerator and decrease the denominator so that we increase the value delivered to the consumer. So I think the starting point in all Mm -hmm. of this discussion with value-based care consumerism doesn't make any difference what it is, the transformational big idea, the so what, Mm -hmm. improve the value delivered to the consumer. Mm -hmm. That is, To me, that's job one. That's Mm -hmm. what we have to focus on.
1: And But I think we are challenged because, uh, again, we're not large institutions like hospitals. We don't have marketing departments. I mean, we have good quality improvement programs, uh, but we're in different silos. Um, And, uh, you know, in in the time that you've spent with our industry, you know, is there anything that we could do better? I agree, you know, improving quality and reducing costs. How do we get that message across?
3: Well, to me, the, the old saying, you can't manage what you don't measure Mm -hmm. so it's not just a matter of getting the message across it's actually delivering Mm -hmm. on the value so to me the starting point is the the components which is clinical quality patient satisfaction Mm -hmm. cost i don't care how small you are the technology is available to Mm -hmm. be able to put the things in place to be able to measure those components and then Mm -hmm. you can manage it in other words Okay, we say the surgery centers right now say, "Are you measuring your cl- or, or are you measuring your clinical quality?" Mm-hmm. And they're saying, "Yeah, we okay. Well, you're measuring infection rates and you're measuring return to the OR and stuff like that." But mm-hmm. it's a lot more. There's a lot more to mm-hmm. it than that. We should be measuring, you know, 365 days after. We should be able to say what mm-hmm. functional mobility after. Uh, we should be measuring things like how long was the patient in the OR, or how long was the tourniquet on. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the what is the, um, you know, the time of ambulation post total joint replacement? What mm-hmm. is the distance of ambulation? All of those, all of those data points, we don't think about it in a sophisticated enough way. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's not a matter of, well, we're small and we can't afford to do it. You can mm-hmm. afford to do it. You have to think differently. It's not right. going to cost any more just to take. Take beyond where you are today and take that to the next level. The same thing with, you know, patient satisfaction or net promoter mm-hmm. score. The same thing with cost. If we can track those, we can then manage and then we can tell the story because of the data. Is going to implicitly give us mm-hmm. the detail that we need to go to the industry and go mm-hmm. to the importers, go to the payers, go to the state regulatory agencies, go to the federal government, CMS, and say, here's our data. This is what it shows and says. And not only can we take tremendous cost out, but we can we improve clinical quality. Not mm-hmm. only do we improve clinical quality, if you want real-time access to our data, we'll give you real-time access. Mm-hmm. To me, that's that's where it starts. It starts with defining the value, which we've done. And then mm-hmm. tracking and measuring against that value so that you can manage it. It's, it's that simple.
1: Yeah. I think that uh, one of the challenges though, and i as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, wow, this and that, you know, now we're going to have to start the episode of care. You know starts when the patient registers for the procedure or gets uh, gets assigned to the surgery center and of course ends when that patient leaves and there's a follow-up phone call what you're suggesting and which is very true is if we really we have to look at that whole incident of care which involves uh, you know the decision to come and have the surgery as well as the post-operative recovery and often we don't hear or we don't know how well that patient is doing six months a year afterwards we would have to collaborate with you know not only the surgeon but even the primary care physician afterwards and I think that, that kind of gets to the next element uh, which is artificial intelligence and how you bring all of that into it and I know that's that's an area that yeah, you guys have been absolutely
3: in. we have to I think the the process that as we as we create the new front door to surgical care mm-hmm. um, we have to be able the, to track the patient before, during, and after. And Mm -hmm. and that means the technology has got to be in place in the surgery center. And Mm -hmm. the surgery center, as an example, has got to start thinking about long-term post-care navigation Mm -hmm. and follow-up, not just Well, the next day after surgeries, you know, our nurses Mm -hmm. don't have anything to do in the afternoon, so they're going to make phone calls. It's got to go way beyond that. So we've got to have very specific navigators in place. And again, this is more important to me is is getting the listeners to think about where healthcare is going and think about what they need to be doing in the future. Mm -hmm. Another example would be, I think we can't just, you know, the employers are going to say, well, great, your surgery center's you're developing a better mess trap you can get higher quality Mm -hmm. you get higher patient satisfaction lower cost but are you doing anything are you working with an integrated type system to try to prevent surgery what Mm -hmm. about alternative treatment so again yeah we don't generally think about that in the asc industry Mm -hmm. but we have to start thinking about that the employers want an alternative treatment a prevention program and we need to be integrated in with that now when they do need surgery they need to come to our side of service Mm -hmm. because it's less expensive and we're we' we should be taking on risk in a value based care arena, which I think we're gonna talk about here in a minute what that means.
1: Well and go ahead. <laughs>
3: okay. Well, again we talk about we've defined what value means. Yeah. So and and if you think about the the evolution of mm-hmm. of payment system, mm-hmm. you know, we're still largely in a fee for service payment system. Right. Everybody knows what paper performance means. We know what shared savings mean. Mm-hmm. The BPCI program was largely a shared savings. The second reiteration of the BPCI program started to have upside and downside risk. Mm-hmm. But, but the surgical industry right now in many markets uh, is starting to kind of settle in on prospective bundles mm-hmm. and prospective bundles with a warranty. In other words, agreeing to what the all-in bundled price mm-hmm. looks like for the facility, for the surgeon, for anesthesia, for home health, for the implant, for for physical therapy, all in, in one bundle, in one mm-hmm. payment, and we guarantee in the results. In other words, if there has to go back to the OR or whatever it might be, we stand behind that product or service. So to me, the ultimate expression of mm-hmm. value-based care is in any industry, not just, just health care, the ultimate expression is standing behind your product or service, yeah. giving a guarantee to it. In surgery, that says, "I'm going to stand behind my product or service. I'm going to stand behind that bundle. I'm going to stand behind the the, the whole thing." And so, mm-hmm. it's no different than a
1: and make good on it if, if make something good on it if it
3: doesn't happen. Right, that is right. the ultimate expression yeah. of value based care, and it really it really translates very well into an ambulatory surgery center participating in value-based care in the form of a bundle mm-hmm. and hopefully in the form of a center of excellence. So I'm a an you know, ambulatory center of excellence, part of a larger network mm-hmm. of ASCs. That's why I'm so supportive of the, of the New York you know, State Association of Ambulatory mm-hmm. Surgery Centers because that association should transform eventually into a network mm-hmm. of ambulatory centers of excellence that are that are a place where the employers can actually steer their employees to mm-hmm. for not just lower costs, but because we're taking on risk. So right. again, to me, the ultimate expression of value-based care is to stand behind your product or service. So I think the, the guaranteeing the product in an ASC and being a part of a bundle, mm-hmm. part of a center of excellence, ambulatory center of excellence network, that's the future mm-hmm. of ambulatory surgery centers across the country.
1: So I'm sitting here kind of laughing because uh, I hope
3: you're not laughing. No, at no, no, no,
1: no, because, <laughs> you know, 30 years ago, uh, I, you know, I was one of the founders of the the New York State Association, and I remember this conversation 30 years ago, you know, where we, because that's that's how that's long we've been, we need,
3: yeah. that,
1: and this is uh, now, so we've had a lot of false starts, but. But, you know, and that's what I want you to talk to. I mean, we're in a very different situation, and I think a lot of it comes down to information. You know, when we look at our industry right now, we still, even in the ASC industry, and this is one thing I want to encourage our listeners uh, to think about, is it is time to move to electronic medical records. You know, still 50% of our centers, and when even within our own company, among our uh, clients at Amateur Healthcare Strategies, still many of those systems still are on... Um, Uh, you know, paper records. And and I I listen to the vendors go out there and talk about how they're going to save money by going to EMR. That's the wrong message. The right message, uh, you know, about an EMR is so much more information that you're going to get out of it. Absolutely. And and to your point, the ability to prove the quality of care that you're generating, which can only come out of a system where data can be shared, uh, can be accumulated and shared across, you know, different sectors. You got it.
3: Data, you know this. John is... Data is powerful. It is. It's powerful no matter where you use it, but mm-hmm. that tool, whether it's a state regulatory agency, whether you're at the federal government, whether you're at CMS, it'll make any difference what it is, or you're in an employer or a payer, Yeah. the The data is really, really powerful. And so if you have a story to tell, mm-hmm. it's one thing to get up and tell the story. It's another thing to back it up with data. Right. And this industry is ripe for disruption, mm-hmm. Rod, but you have to have the data to do mm-hmm. it. You can't capture the data without the technology. so again i'm not going to disparage anybody on paper records but you have to think about the future where Mm -hmm. this industry is going and and if you want to be a little boutique you know facility you don't want to be a part of a transformation and you want to eventually die like blockbuster did yeah then stay where you are if you want to you want to thrive and grow and be a part of the transformation that this country you know needs um then then you got to get you got to have the data you got to be technology right. enabled period there is just no other solution
1: and and you've got to look for systems that are going to be able to integrate nationally i mean that that's another challenge that i find i find a lot of centers unfortunately making poor decisions because uh you know because of cost yeah. You know, they, they'll go with a cheaper system that, integrate. Uh, it won't integrate down the road. Right. Down the road. Yeah. right. Exactly. So, uh, this has been great. I mean, it's a, it's a challenging time that we're living in, but it's an exciting time. You, I don't know if you were in the session, uh, we just did. Yes. Uh, with, I, I was y- in there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's this excitement about the growth of the industry, which I think is going to be tremendous. Uh, there's an excitement about the message that we can provide cheaper care. And then there's the, ch- the challenge of getting the message across that not only is that less expensive care but it's also very high quality and now we have the tools now we're gathering information in such a way that we can prove that quality Absolutely. to our audience if you look right, right now evaluation. we talk
3: too much in my opinion we talk too much just about a lower cost side of service and we right. don't talk enough about yeah. look at what our outcomes are compared to national average which That's is right. predominantly hospital it, yeah. it's 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 it's
1: you got to time together. You got to tie the quality uh, and, yeah, and, the, and the cost together. It's
3: unbelievable. Absolutely. I mean, the ambulatory surgery center's net promoter score is in the you know mid to high nineties. The hospitals yeah. don't have that. That's even right. there's it's an, even the HOPDs don't have that. And the clinical outcomes compared to total joint replacement yeah. in a, oh, in a wow. ASC setting compared to the hospital and the the statistics are staggering. The data is yeah. staggering. We talk, you know, of course the cost is less, but yeah. we have we have improved valued you know dramatically improved value delivered to the patient to the consumer Mm -hmm. and we got to talk more about that but and we need to have everybody else jump on board with the technology to capture that data
1: absolutely thank you so much dan this has been a pleasure interviewing you i appreciate it it. i know you got to catch a plane so uh thank you uh, thanks again for joining us so this is john gilliam at the new york state association meeting in Terrytown in uh I think it's still September. <laughs> and I'm here with Austin Chang, <laughs> and Austin, you're going to introduce this uh, incredible team that we put together for uh, a main stage uh, discussion. Go ahead, Austin.
4: Sure. Uh, thanks for having And us.
1: Introduce yourself, Austin, by yeah. the way, for uh, our yes. audience. <laughs> Sorry.
4: Uh, so, Austin Chang. I'm the CEO of Gramercy Surgery Center. Yeah. Uh, we're a multi-specialty surgery center located in New York City. Uh, we have two facilities, uh, one in Manhattan and one in Queens.
1: That's right. And one of our clients, too, yes, I should point Austin. out. Thank you very much, uh, yeah. Austin, and a longtime uh, podcast listener.
4: Yes. Um, and we just got done uh, with a panel at the New York State Association for Ambulatory Surgery Center. So we had a, a great time. It was focused on value-based care. Uh, and we had actually a, a pretty diverse panel, I think, uh, one of the first times, uh, or maybe the first time in history of the association that we had a payer yeah. uh, speak. Uh, so it was a big deal. So Matt Siever is in the room with us from Anthem, and then also Wendy Smith, uh, who's with Aon, uh, who's uh, uh, the largest, I believe, the largest benefits broker in the world, if I'm not mistaken. And then Liz Jakel from Value Health, uh, the uh, regional president of the Mid Atlantic region, if, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. Good job. <laughs> yeah.
1: So tell me a little bit about the, uh, the session, how it progressed, uh, who started?
4: Lisa uh, Altieri from Capital Health Consulting was moderating, and she essentially, you know, just asked where Gramercy was in terms of value-based care, where mm-hmm. we are, are in the journey, and then we sort of rolled into the different viewpoints of um, everybody and how, how that all fits into value-based care. So, basically, and, and it might be beneficial for me to give a little, you know, background of on myself and how I entered into Gramercy. So. Uh, my, my mother founded the company, you know, in 2006, so 15 years ago, um, you know, it was, it was always the topic at the, you know, dinner table, the surgery <laughs> center. So uh, although I'm not, um, I, I haven't been in healthcare for very long, I feel like... You, you grew know, up I, with it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And in another sense, it's it's been my whole life, right? So I am an attorney by trade, uh, but unfortunately in 2020, my mother passed away, so I... Mm-hmm. Uh, committed to taking on, you know, the mantle at Gramercy Surgery Center, I came back and fortunately I had a pretty smooth transition, all things considered, mm-hmm. likely because, you know, we had a great team there, but, you know, one of the first things I did was take a lay of the land to see, you know, where we are as a company, and, you know, as a facility, a surgery center, and one of the things that I saw that the team was doing and we didn't call it value-based care, but it, it was value-based care. We were speaking with, you know, payers. We were speaking with medical groups that have, like, financially incentivized, you know, contracts. And and we were helping them save costs for the healthcare system, mm-hmm. right? Um, it took many forms. So, you know, some of the forms were simply speaking to a payer and saying, hey, if you, you know, help bump our, you know, Rates our reimbursement rates a little bit. We can try to help you, you all systematically move you know cases from the hospital setting to our facility setting. So that that was like a simple site of service uh, type mm-hmm. of strategy. There were self-funded employers at our facility that you know I came to realize they were very cognizant of the cost of the care because they pay out of their pocket, right, dollar for dollar. So. I started to focus on them and, and trying to help help them save costs, and they were obviously very very receptive to that. Um, you know, doing simple things like showing them a spreadsheet, these are the procedures you've done with us, mm-hmm. if you had done this at the hospital, it would have cost, cost. It would have cost this, um, yeah. and if you shift another however many cases from the hospital to us, this is how much additional you could save, yeah. right? Um, so that's that's which is
1: cool. what we hope to do at a national level too, and for the Medicare program. Can exactly, you imagine? Exactly. We might actually be able to pay for that infrastructure. Know, maybe not quite that, but. <laughs>
4: yeah, but you yeah. know, it's um, it's 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 very rudimentary. Like what I what what I started to do it's yeah. just an Excel sheet, right? Um, so, and and that's value based care, and I, I would argue that. The existence of a surgery center by itself is value-based care. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're running a surgery center, you're part of the value-based care yeah. model right now because every single case you do, if it was done in a hospital, it, it would have cost twice as much, right? So if administrators or people in surgery centers are thinking they're not practicing value-based care, I would, I would, say, I would argue that's incorrect. Right. Um, and then we transitioned... You know, from my viewpoint, at the facility level, when we started. Uh, we shifted to, to Wendy, who's with Aon, and she uh, sort of went a little bit into what the benefits brokers really focus on. You know, for value based care.
5: Sure. Thanks, Ann Austin. Um, so nationally, if you look at the surgical spend, it's about twenty to twenty five percent of any self insured or fully insured employer's medical total medical spend. So in this site of service move that we referenced, it's really important. Also, the move from fee-for-service to bundles, and what we're seeing nationally that's happening is... Surgical networks uh, that are national in scope or maybe regional in scope um, are really starting to, to be very attractive to employers because, mm-hmm. um, in many cases, they can work alongside the carrier or they can work within the carrier. Mm-hmm. Either situation can be feasible. And they bundle the payment, and they, you know, generally look at the best side of service and and cost and quality equation, and where they're going to perform that surgery. So certainly, in the pandemic, we saw a lot of the freestanding ambulatory surgery centers um, be the beneficiary in many states where hospitals had to to close their elective surgeries, many of those moved to freestanding ambulatory surgery centers. So these surgical networks um, really look at the quality of the facility and the surgeon as well. Really important looking at the outcomes, the volume that has been conducted, and and the more volume produces the better outcome. So as we look at um, our self-insured employers you look at the landscape uh, also within the carrier space of uh, someone like united optum going with their sms product uh, which is just a site of service move it is not a fee for service to bundle it's just purely a site of service move that indicates very vividly that this site of service is really important Mm -hmm. so um, it's it's just you know employers really want uh, to start to attack um, how they can Uh, change the cost equation and the quality equation. And it's also about the consumer experience as well, because that consumer is also the beneficiary. And many times there's a benefit to the the employee that is a waiving of the coinsurance or deductible or some other kind of monetary situation if it's a voluntary or a mandatory pick by the employer to use these surgical networks. So it, it really helps at the employer level. It also helps at the employee level. And just the overall cost of care.
1: Well, as well as the quality of the care that can be rendered in a surgical setting. You know, I think we've seen that during the pandemic as hospitals. uh, Who who wants to go to have surgery in a hospital right now? (laughs) Right. I mean, not that it's a bad environment, but if you're in the middle of a pandemic, you know, my... uh, You know, uh, Sue's daughter, for example, had surgery in the middle of the pandemic. We did not want her to be in a hospital. We found the quickest surgery center, which we happen to know a few, um, (laughs) you know, have that done. And I think that's, uh, that, that's helping your situation is it's almost like, you know, they're, they're, they're already ready to transition because of the quality of the care, the different type of care that you're going to provide, the fact that it's not in a hospital. And then it's almost like that's the sweet spot that not only that, but it's cheaper.
5: Absolutely, and as cost transparency and quality transparency become more available, mm-hmm. there will be no doubt that that will help drive this equation even further faster.
4: Right. I feel like I jumped right into the cost savings, portion of the day, <laughs> know, but, and you know. knew I was going to head to the yeah, quality. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's quality, um, and, yeah. and I think part of why I jumped right to cost savings is because if if you're if you're a provider, I I feel like you. Quality outcomes—it's
0: given. It's a given. It's It's given. given. That's
4: what you're striving for every day, and you you want to improve that, right? Um, What people don't necessarily think about is how, how is this financially impacting the country and the patient right mm-hmm. and and i think um that's that's probably why my mind automatically jumps yeah. to, to the cost uh, no
1: it's a fair it's point. a yeah. fair comment but i think you're right is that but we we're constantly harping on that I, I just finished an interview with Valley health where the whole comment came up of that whole equation yeah you know quality yep. and um experience a, experience right a, as well by, as the cost yep. yeah the cost
6: yep divided by cost um so the, just to pick up on uh, what Wendy had said, we spend a, a fair amount of time um, kind of rethinking uh, the, the term consumerism and mm-hmm. really what does it mean today versus what was that definition five years ago yeah. or ten years ago. And it's an evolution. And the the hard part is, is that we're all in the trenches mm-hmm. running our centers, running our businesses, delivering great care, doing all the right things. But how is it that we can today, you know, think big, start small in in assuring we are going to be as successful or more successful 10 years from now as we are today. Mm-hmm. And this idea of an active consumer was part of the discussion. So mm-hmm. it used to be that our um, customer was a patient and almost like you would treat a patient. It's almost a, a Object, if you will, and yeah. I don't mean that in the negative sense, but it's something you do to them. You take care of them. You treat them. But in today's world, as evidenced by everything else uh, going on, mm-hmm. you know, on digital and 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 non digital, there's uh, an activism and. Patients are at the point where they are ready. Um, uh, the world, the, you know, at least the um, uh, American economy and the, the folks in, in the U.S., they are ready to really look at, you know, what am I buying? How, what is my value proposition when I'm consuming this service? So um, it's the experience for sure, but it's also how do I evaluate quality how do I evaluate real cost? What mm-hmm. does that mean to me? And you know, what am I getting out of it? Um, the the discussion was uh, a little bit around too. How do I prepare for this consumerism? And how do I prepare to be successful? And uh, the the emphasis was really uh, starting with let's start measuring the things that really matter. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we pick total joints as, a, as yeah. an example, but um, we're going to need data sets uh, that are going to prove our point and are going to be able to demonstrate um, to others why they mm-hmm. should come to us, you know, over any other option in the marketplace. And um, it's going to be functional track, tracking, it's going to be clinical tracking, it's going to be business tracking, it's going to mm-hmm. And it's this um, idea of how, even with the spreadsheet today, how can I start to build a culture around, you know, the greatest expression of Mm -hmm. our quality is providing a warranty. Or if I were to go in that direction, what is it that I would need to track to make sure that I could provide it? So it is, we believe Going to be crucial over the next several years that we start to pivot and um, really make some of those those activities uh, a part of our daily, you know, effort.
1: And uh, isn't information going to be the biggest problem? I mean, when we look at our surgery centers, Austin, you know this. So many of our surgery centers, maybe less, maybe fifty percent now, are still on paper records. Right. And you know we're going to have to get better information out there. We spend so much time selling information systems, medical information systems, based upon the fact that they're going to save money, which, by the way, I question that, as opposed to all the other wonderful things that come out of it. In addition to being a great way to document procedures, the information that you're talking about here is going to be an absolutely critical part of that.
5: Yeah. Well, one other thing that I would just mention is that the the carriers themselves are starting to come out with that criteria that matters Mm -hmm. to them. And so I think that's a really great starting point because it's a little bit of the unknown today mm-hmm. and what makes that difference important. So I think Matt did a great job of outlining that. I think
1: that's the great transition there. Good, good segue there. See, we set you all up. <laughs>
7: <laughs> well, um... I'm passionate about uh, keeping healthcare affordable. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I talked about today was really what are all the levers that uh, we have available to us to try to utilize ambulatory surgery centers that we know are high quality, but will keep healthcare affordable. So um, if it's lower cost to us as a pair, it should be lower cost to the member who's visiting them. So we're actually designing benefits as a, in some of our cases, is to have a fixed cost sharing. So if I'm going to go to an ambulatory surgery center, I know I'm going to pay this fixed amount Mm -hmm. as opposed to at a hospital setting where it'll be a co-insurance and a deductible and all that much. That's really kind of where it all starts. And then just was mentioned before about members. How do they – are they even aware of these benefits? So. We're trying to get communications out to members to let them know these are benefit differentials that are going on. Doing some, in some cases, some outreaches to them to say, hey, you know, you could go to the hospital, but instead of going to the hospital, you could go to a lower cost ambulatory surgery center. Mm -hmm. And this is what it means to you, just, you know, to you uh, out of your own pocket. And then looking at what's next for ambulatory surgery centers. I just think they're really. they are a critical piece to our future strategy mm-hmm. um and you know overall affordability and uh, i think the the biggest piece there for ambulatory surgery centers as we go forward i think quality is the biggest piece it's going to be a differentiator in the market going forward and i know there are the the broader designations chaco but there's also those condition specific designations and i think going forward those are the things that are going to become very very important as we look at uh trying to drive quality and value at the same time i think Having those differentiators, making that plain to the member, you know, mm-hmm. in our search results, in our communications to members, I think is is all where we're heading.
1: Well, and you bring up another interesting topic right now, the Centers of Excellence, you know, uh, getting specialty designations, you know. In in the state of New York, where we're discussing this uh, at the State Association meeting, uh, all, all centers in New York are required to be accredited. now. You know, you can you have you you can have your choice of accreditation organizations, but I think on a from a national basis, that's going to become even more important. In other words, it'll be the minimum, the absolute minimum accreditation will be where you start, and then having these specialty designations and centers of excellence will probably help
7: along those lines. Absolutely, and I think the other piece I neglected to mention is just overall um, the other lever we have to pull is who is doing the surgeries at the ambulatory surgery mm-hmm. centers. So I think the quality designations is a piece to give them some assurance that. Uh, the place they're going to start using is a very high-quality uh, center. But also, we have some incentives for these for, for these surgeons that mm-hmm. if you deliver care at a lower overall cost of care at the same quality, you're saving money, you're saving the employer money, then that should be shared. So mm-hmm. if there are surgeons who are able to use lower cost of cares at the same outcomes, mm-hmm. we want to incentivize for them for doing those overall cost of care savings.
1: You know, I, I've been in, the, I'm celebrating my... Th- 31st year, but, you know, I formed the the New York State Association back in uh, 1991. And it's so funny because I'm listening to this conversation thinking to myself, you know, we talked about this 30 years ago. Um, But of course, we have a lot more tools at our disposal today, don't we?
4: Well, I think uh, it it hits upon what you were talking about earlier, the data right now. Data Mm -hmm. is readily accessible, track things electronically. There are at least many of the center's you know i've interacted with they are emrs now right and the emr systems track a whole ton and it's and it's automatic right right in in order
1: as long as they have a system that is tied in with those major systems now that that's something i think it's important for our audience to understand because there's a lot of vendors out there yeah um and some of them are not going to be here Next week, well, I mean, hopefully next week. But and some of them are not going to be able to tie into the major systems out there. So you got to be very careful when you make that decision. That's not one of those. That that's a value proposition. Also, that's one of those things that even when you're choosing that system, you need to make sure you're choosing a system that's going to get you into the next yes. century. Well, get get you out of this year um, as well as uh, it's going to be a good value proposition. And that might not be the cheapest system. As a matter of fact, it might be the most expensive option out there. But the important of getting that type of information cannot be underestimated.
7: So, yeah, speaking of data, uh, one of the other things that we provide to surgeons, and we talk about the overall cost of care, great, if you lower the, lower the overall cost of care with share savings, but How do they know where they're currently getting their services rendered? Who's doing them where? We have a whole system, uh, PCMS is called Patient Care Management System, that even if an ASC does not have an integrated electronic medical system, although we are developing some technology to have that integration, Mm -hmm. even if you don't, there's an online system that will enable the administrators, the surgeons, to know really where are they doing services now. Where are those opportunities to Mm save care?
1: Yeah, that's great. Um, It's about time we be able to sneak around and find out information about our competitors so that we can (laughs) encourage them. Cause that's ultimately what we're trying. We're trying to, you know, and, and it's so important right now, post pandemic, understanding the, uh, the great quality that we're providing in an ambulatory surgery setting. And again, nothing about nothing against hospitals. As a matter of fact, I, I love hospitals. I like, Probably most of us around the table probably all started out working in hospitals or with hospital systems. And uh, there's a role for them, but that role is definitely transitioning. And during the pandemic, we realized the importance of having them available for those important times, such as a pandemic. And that if we keep these higher cost things in that setting, we're going to endanger our ability to react to that.
4: Yeah, I think um, something else that the pandemic has done, well, one, it has had people really focus on, cost, right? You know, they're they're trying to save cost everywhere that they can. So now value-based care, you know, the, the value proposition, no pun intended, is, is magnified, right? Mm-hmm. So you have that. But then I think that there are also legislative and executive pushes, for example, price transparency. And that brings to light, wait, why is this site being paid this amount That's and this site being paid this amount and, and that second site right if they're yeah. being paid a lower amount but they have better outcomes that doesn't mm-hmm. make sense right so i think that that is something else that's really pushing this to the to the forefront absolutely yeah.
1: thank you so much this has been great and you know i feel like this is the beginning of a conversation right now and i also feel by by the way speaking back for 30 years it's about time that we finally get to this and maybe that maybe that critical energy is finally uh, uh, there to be able to do this maybe that's one thing we could say about the pandemic is right. that uh, hopefully we can turn some what's that term you know lemons into lemonade <laughs> <laughs> never really used that phrase before but uh, but if, if I mean just like disaster preparedness you know you know what I'm talking about you know we, we prepare for a disaster we're ready for it we're never uh, but we learn so much from every single one of those things so when the next one happens it, it it isn't as bad I think that's probably the big lesson to be learned from this thank you so much for first of all coming to the New York State Association this has been a, a great opportunity to finally hear from the, you know the people that quite frankly have sometimes been a thorn in our side but <laughs> but it's not you know but but it's important to hear your side of it because you know we've got an important message you've got an important message and put them all at the table together yeah. i think it's a great opportunity to move forward so i appreciate your time thank you thank you, thank you. thanks Jeff.
0: And next, we interviewed two of the vendors, Craig Leahy with SIS and Chris Dutra with Anatomy IT, regarding the value of exhibiting at the association meetings. They've both been long-term
1: absolutely
0: um, members at the
1: yeah. And it was it was great because I um, we wanted to kind of give a vendor's perspective, and mm-hmm. that was uh, I think it's kind of unique to the New York State Association is to have vendors who uh, you know kind of meet regularly to try to find ways to enhance. Uh, the vendor relationship with the state Mm -hmm. association. I should also mention, so Chris Dutra's uh, company name used to be Stratix... IT and they changed it to anatomy IT. So it is a little confusing because if you do a search for him you still mm-hmm. find the old company name there but his new company name is anatomy IT and of course Craig Leahy he and I go way back with SIS and we frequently and of course SIS is a sponsor of the podcast here. So this was a great opportunity to learn and to explain to vendors what the value is of coming to the state association meeting. So let's listen to that interview. So uh, Sue and I are here at the New York State Association meeting in Terrytown, uh, and uh, we're meeting with uh, Craig Leahy and, and Chris Dutra, two vendors here. I'm going to let you introduce yourselves a little bit and experience. And uh, they serve kind of on a on an ad hoc vendor committee here to uh, help uh, recruit people uh, as vendors and to explain the vendor experience. So I'll start with you, Craig. Of course, I, everybody knows Craig, but uh, <laughs> but maybe not the audience here.
8: Hi, Craig Leahy, Regional Vice President of Sales at Surgical Information Systems. Been uh, been part of this association for a long, long time. Uh, Nineteen years with the company. So heavens, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't look a day over. He has no gray hair, that's right, (laughs) no gray hair,
1: unlike me. Look at this, look at this. (laughs) Go ahead, Chris.
9: Good good afternoon, Chris Dutcher with Anatomy IT. I am the senior vice president of sales at Anatomy. Uh, Have been involved with the NYSEC organization for about 12 years.
1: And since I didn't even know your new name, can you tell us who you came from, Uh, the old name? (laughs)
9: Where I came from. Uh, I was originally with Stratix IT Solutions. Uh, We merged recently in January with a company local here, CompuFit, uh, and we formed Anatomy IT.
1: Got it, got it, Yeah. Because I saw your name and I thought, where the heck these guys come from? <laughs> so uh, you kind of serve as an ad hoc committee to help us out. You know, this has been a very, I mean, I'm, <laughs> we all know this has been a difficult two years. And uh, we as vendors, of course, we're vendors here also at, and at these conferences. Uh, you know, we've been kind of desperate to get out into the public because this is one of the primary tools. And we always know, too, that there's a, a lag time. You know, it takes a couple years, and especially with the services that all three of us offer. It's not something like you, you buy right away. It's something that usually involves a long-term decision and being there at the right time in the right place when somebody needs to buy the product. Talk a little bit about you know, what you've been doing uh, with the State Association and also you know, where, where you are right now in trying to market your services.
8: Yeah, so we've actually had a decent year virtually, mm-hmm. um, but being in person is such a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Being face-to-face with these people, John, as you said, it takes a long time to nurture uh, these relationships and, you know, we're not in our organization is not in the business just to try to get a quick signature and move on. It's a yeah. more consultative approach, um, getting people to understand the offerings that we have uh, and using meetings like this and really just being in person with people is is such a huge advantage. So we we absolutely appreciate um, these types of meetings and the support uh, that we were able to give to to the association,
1: and of course, I have to you know personally acknowledge the fact that SIS is our, our longest term uh, sponsor of the podcast. Uh, the equipment in this room has probably been paid for by uh, by you, so thank you very much. Uh, and, I, and if it doesn't sound good, it's it's Craig's fault it's, also. It's my fault. Yeah. Sorry about that. No, thank you, Craig. And and of course, uh, SIS has been in many of whatever. Previous names we all had over the years. Of course, you've been around. Uh, you've been through a number of name changes. You have an awful lot of, uh, of cards, probably. You know, business cards that yes, stack up.
8: Yes, yes, absolutely. But, but
1: thank you for the the association. How do you think things have changed? Um, you know, you, you've you've seen this. I've been here thirty years, of course. I started the organization, but in your nineteen years, you've you've been coming to the New York State Association meetings all I those have. nineteen. Talk a little bit about how things have changed.
8: Yeah, I tell you, it's it's a much more professional organization. Uh, now than it was in, in previous years, and it's it's you know we support probably thirty five state yeah. associations, um, which is which is pretty unique. I'm not sure how many vendors out there are doing that. I think that, you're at
0: yeah. I there's, agree.
8: We, we do want to give that local support to the to the facilities that attend these meetings, and uh, we learn a lot from these meetings as well. So mm-hmm. it's it's been uh, the change from. You know, we were in the early days of of very small meetings Mm -hmm. to uh, being kind of shoved out in some hallway that nobody walked down. Yeah, Um, it
1: used to be actually you were in the meeting rooms. (laughs) We were. We started there. (laughs)
8: That's right. (laughs) Yeah, maybe maybe there was four vendors or five vendors. So more vendors that support this meeting the more we can do for the association yeah. so um it's gone hand in hand the, the group that you have now um running the conference is is tremendous uh, and we're excited to to, uh, to be here for the additional growth thank you so much so chris you're a,
1: a newcomer but not really you know what i mean but, <laughs> <Newcomer> <laughs> by Nate, yes. right exactly well and, and certainly uh, your companies have had less time with us but you know just talk a bit a bit about you know what your experience has sure. been and what you feel uh sure. are and strengths here
9: like i said we Move a little We've been active for about 12 years with the organization, and yeah. I'd like uh, allude to what Craig said, it was you know more intimate. It was a smaller group. We yeah. were in the hallway, and there was you know a few of us as vendors attending. But I, I think we stuck with it because yeah. we felt compelled to be part of the group and grow with the group, and you know be there for the folks that are running the centers. And being in the IT world, mm-hmm. the sales cycle can be quite long. Right, um, right. and once you get in there, though. You're you're a trusted source. Like you, mm-hmm. they're giving you their infrastructure to to maintain. So yeah. for us, that that relationship and and being back in person and be able to <laughs> see the smile behind the mask, mm-hmm. um, for me was a, a big move. It was it was a good feeling.
1: So we see SIS all over the place uh, during the virtual world, and they really kind of adapted to it because their technology. Well, you are too. Uh, you know, but they you know their product is something that has just been. Evolving so much recently, Uh, talk a little bit about what's changed with uh, you you know your experience and and getting out there in marketing. How how have you been changing the way you market now? From a marketing
9: standpoint, we like everybody else moved into the Zoom world. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of what we do is Zoom. Uh, Believe it or not, because we're in the IT world, we need to see and touch. Yeah, Um, so we do a lot of FaceTime. Right. With the Zoom, so we'll we'll do both at the same time, so they can walk around the room and kind yeah. of show us what they have, because we need to see what's behind what's behind the door number three, yeah, to, right. to, to, to see what we're <laughs> going to support. Um, but from a marketing standpoint, it's you know we went virtual, we we never shut down because we were right. essential, Can't, you know, su- supporting, yeah, like health, yeah. supporting health, none of, none of the three of us in this yeah, room could no, do that. No, <laughs> no. But um, it, the the biggest transition was to the Zoom world, to, yeah. you know, and I'm sure everybody. In the, in the room is the same. It, it's yeah. you know, going from in-person to a Zoom environment and how to best adapt to it. We've got applications that we use that capture the Zoom meetings right. and allow us to go in and, and dig deeper into the transcript and what's being discussed mm-hmm. so we can, after the meeting, digest everything that's been done yeah
1: so similar to what we do with our yeah. uh, virtual conferences absolutely it's been incredible I, I, you know I, I find it also what might be interesting Chris is that I think uh, unlike sis where you know the decision to adopt the product is is long and also um, you know very well thought out, it's usually not crisis. Right? It's not like suddenly the system broke down and you had to come in. But that's what happens with you, isn't it? Talk a little bit about that. Yes,
9: sir. Uh, crisis. <laughs> Welcome to my world. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, cybersecurity has, has been a yeah. huge focus for us right now. And we've we've invested a lot of money internally because mm-hmm. we needed to protect ourselves with the latest... Let's call it ransomware attack. They yeah. they focused strictly on IT companies, mm-hmm. um, and they were they were targeting us because they knew if they got to us, they infect a they lot of people. can go to everybody that we're connected yeah. with. Um, but we were able to invest money and put things behind that to now be able to offer that to our clients, right? And be able to educate them and educate their employees on how do you stay protected? Yeah, uh, because it's not about having something in place; it's having a plan in place for when it happens. Right, right, and And that to us, is, you know, the education piece is big and educating the folks on how to protect themselves and be ready for that uh, occurrence.
1: Now, I'm looking at hardware and software. Now, when I say hardware, I, I actually refer to the networking capabilities <laughs> too. So, I mean, it, the boundaries are changing constantly now. So, it's even hard to say that. So, the, let's say the networking capabilities as well as the, you know, the software and the, the end user, you know, product. Uh, yours is a little more visible. I'm, I'm pointing to Craig here. You're a little more visible because the screen that's in front of you has got the SIS logo. But you know, in your case, uh, talk a little bit about how the two of you interact. Cause I know you know each other very well and, uh, you work together. How, how do you guys work together? You know, what, what's an ideal, uh, IT, uh, hardware networking software solution?
9: So I'll, I'll jump in first. Uh, it you know for us it's typically if we're supporting a, a center or mm-hmm. we go into a new center and you know we're obviously taking over the hardware piece of it, implementing software um, is eminent for them. They're gonna they're gonna move to an EMR. We can help guide them mm-hmm. and make sure they have the right equipment in place mm-hmm. and be able to recommend them to someone like Craig. And if they're looking for EMR, you know PM something to run their their center, us being their trusted. Electronic advisor, Mm -hmm. you know, they'll take our, our guidance and, and, and go with what we're recommending.
8: Yeah. Yeah. And the name of the game in this space is cost savings, right? So a lot of these facilities End up going with maybe the physician's nephew you know. or something, just to you know because it's it's a cheap service. They don't realize
1: the, the local college student who <laughs> you can
8: come in for ten bucks an hour, exactly, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. A so big
1: competition for it. Yeah. What could go wrong? I've, I've, never, seen, I've never
8: seen that. <laughs> and, and you're trusting your your entire business yeah. you know model to that, and and um, so so it's really just education process and the same thing. It's you know if, if we see that. We want to bring in a, a service that's professional that understands everything. That mm-hmm. you can't go to Best Buy yeah. and buy your you know all of your laptops and mm-hmm. expect everything to work uh, perfectly every day. Because um, you're certainly
1: not going to experience the cost savings that you're you're hoping to get yes, if you exactly. do it that way. Yeah,
8: yeah. And, and, you know. And obviously, our goal is to make them more efficient uh, mm-hmm. when you move to an EMR, for example, uh, you go off a of paper. That's, that's a big, it's gotta be up and running all the time. Yeah. Um, and if you don't have good, good it services to do that, the two can't work together. So my system doesn't work. And, and, uh, you know, and then nothing works. Yeah. So.
9: And we help, we, we do help like in the, in the process is mm-hmm. guiding them from a need standpoint, you know, what, what is it going to take to implement, syscomplete on you know do -hmm. you have internet connection do you have a backup connection and that's where we can help talk them through things like preparing for moving to that yeah that environment and the the expertise on our side is just from a, a, a end user standpoint and and how the software works on the hardware but we can help guide them into making a decision based on the on the interface and the the flexibility of the software
1: how do you think sales is going to evolve you know, post pandemic, because, well, for example, we've been talking in the various associations that we might not be going to the number of conferences we might not be having holding the same number of conferences. Now, the New York State Association is going to keep trying to to a year, um, but that could change, of course, depending upon what happens. How do you how do you think your marketing is going to have to evolve or is evolving as a result of this change? I mean, we know virtual conferences are not going away. Right.
8: Right. Yeah. I, I think um, people are obviously more used to these virtual conferences. You know, when we started out doing these virtual meetings, um, even one on one with a prospect or client, they weren't turning their video on. Yeah, right. So it was they're not they weren't comfortable. Maybe they're home in their PJs yeah. or wh- whatever the case may be or vice versa. Maybe I was home in my PJs. Um, but you got the I pets think, in the background, the babies crawling right. around yeah. on the floor. Well, a lot of the barking, barking <laughs> dogs. And it's just so it's becoming more of the norm to do yeah. that. So I, I agree with you. I don't think that's going away. Fortunately for us in technology, it's a little bit easier to mm-hmm. adapt to that. And as I mentioned earlier, we've had a very successful year uh, virtually virtually. I do appreciate the, uh, the site meetings and yeah. talking to a few of the board members here. They, um, they assured me that this meeting was going to happen even when some of the other ones around the country have canceled recently. Even at canceled the last recently. minute. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I was very excited to be here in person again. It's been, been too long. So what's your message for uh,
1: the vendors out there that might be considering, you know, because that, that is still an issue. There's new people coming into the industry. There's just look, I mean, we've all been wondering that I, I don't recognize half the vendors to be honest with mm-hmm. you. So what's the message, you know, How how successful can this type of an environment be, and also how do you manage expectations for all those vendors? I think
9: that's an important point too. (laughs) I'll I'll start. Um, I I think it's a wonderful opportunity. Mm -hmm. You know, being in the healthcare space and and the ASC market, being part of the organization just puts you closer to your end client. Mm -hmm. And the more you put into it as a vendor, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you have to put in. You yeah. have to make an effort to meet folks, to sit down with folks. You know, you and I met how many years ago, yeah. you know, Giov- Giovanna and everybody else on the on the board. If you if you make an effort to, to join the association and be part of it mm-hmm. and participate, you know, answer a phone call. If someone's right. calling you up to get some feedback, you know, give them the feedback, positive, right. negative, you know, indifferent or not. It's what you put into it is what you're going to get out. And, yeah. you know, to come in with an expectation that you're going to walk into a show and walk out with you know, 50 50 leads and, you know,
1: and that they're all going to sign in the next couple months. (laughs) Within three three days, I (laughs) think is the the, the requirement
9: for it. (laughs) So I think it's, it's having that expectation. And when we're, when I'm speaking with folks, I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm helping them with that expectation and say, you know, I've been here for 12 years that I've gotten a decent amount of business, but I've made a lot of friends. I've made a lot of contacts. So, and it's being able to help each other. And like Craig and I, all the time are are talking and, and what are you up to? Who are you talking to? You know, does it, you know, anybody that needs this, Mm -hmm. I may need somebody third party, you know, do you you know, somebody that does consulting call John, you know, so it's, Everybody works as a team, and it's a big networking environment. That, that's the way I see it as a yeah, and, and, and
8: as a vendor, um, I can tell you there's two aspects to this. <coughs> there, there is the aspect of meeting with customers, mm-hmm. current customers, and supporting them, yeah. um, as well as obviously trying to find new customers, but it's also the aspect of vendors talking to vendors because we work with each other a lot too right so when you're in the the meetings and listening to the to the talks we're out there talking to each other understanding each other's business how can we help you um so it's very valuable from that perspective as well just vendor to vendor Mm -hmm. um and meeting in person because you know every sales guy is gonna is knocking on every surgery center's door telling you that everything they do they're going to save you money right so um nobody's gonna want to cost you money. They want to save you money. Yeah. So to, to be here in person and really establish that relationship is invaluable.
1: Uh, so it's extremely important well and I think the last thing I'll, I'll lead on to is one of the things I've learned over the years you know that certainly in our company and I know both of you feel the same way is that you got to give away a lot of free stuff and I, I'm not talking about all those things at your <laughs> not, table not that's the, cute the that's right <laughs> the, uh, the, the candy at our table it, it doesn't sell the product but right. you know getting up on the podium you know Craig you do. Uh, both of you do that a lot Craig you and I are at literally every single conference together or at least some member of your team sure. um, and I've seen your company uh way too much uh lately no no i've enjoyed it But, but that's the point is that of course you know we spend a lot of time together in the industry we get to know each other better but one thing that we know is that it takes a long time to sell the products that we we sell we need to be ready to there are crises that do occur even with the software side that uh, you know your your system stops working or you're you're no longer uh, able to support a a system that is aging out um and we have to be there on a dime but in the meantime we're going to have to be there to give uh potential clients good information to respond to questions about that and to just help them when they're in, in tough straits so i think that's a message that all the potential vendors out there need to hear is that you know this is an industry where um you know we do expect a certain amount of free stuff, uh, <laughs> be it products, <laughs> little teddy bears or whatever, as well as just a lot of free advice before advice we get helped. it done. Absolutely. Yeah,
9: absolutely. I don't disagree more. And it's it's also a good venue where your clients here or promoting you yeah because if you're doing a good job this is a very tight community it's yeah. you know the, everybody everybody's friends with everybody yeah um and everybody's so happy to be back together you can see everybody oh my goodness you know, they, they all have a giddy up in their step
1: I, I had to leave the bar at about 11 last night because i, I well because sue had to wake me up at like 5 30 this morning <laughs> or five o'clock you know to get down here early i was like oh my goodness but i was well i think you were there too craig there, we were not the last people in that bar. Nope. <laughs> no. no, And I think it was your credit card too, wasn't
8: it? <laughs> <laughs> it probably was. Thank you very
1: <laughs> much. No, no, no. I'm off the hook. <laughs> There you go. As always, Craig and Chris, thank you so much for joining us here. Thank you. John. Thank you. We
2: appreciate you.
1: it. In our last interview was with our dear friends John Van Valkenburg and Jeffrey Flynn. Uh, John is the uh, president of the New York State Association, and Jeff is the vice president as, and the chair of the program committee. And we should note that John was awarded uh, a special uh, recognition for his uh, yeoman job in uh, getting the New York State Association through the pandemic. He was, uh, of course, we worked with him very closely with the podcast and with the various conferences during it. But but he also maintained uh, ongoing communication with the membership. Answered. I'd say, I probably could safely say thousands, but mm-hmm. at least hundreds of questions that he had to field from the members and, of course, ongoing communication with our consultants that work with the state. It was a well-deserved recognition. And also during this conference, we celebrated 30 years mm-hmm. uh, as a New York State Association. This was our 30th anniversary. Um, and I guess uh, it's interesting, uh, kind of one of the more embarrassing parts was somebody asked, you know, who... Uh, who was there at the beginning of the state <laughs> association? And I, the old timers, yeah. And it turns out that I'm the only person <laughs> remaining of all of those people. Oh, uh, unfortunately, some of them have passed on, but uh, uh, but others have kind of left the industry. So uh, it uh, it was uh, great to finally. Recognize the organization for 30 years in the industry. So, but anyway, let's get back to our interview with John Van volkenberg and Jeffrey Flynn, who wanted to talk about the State Association, what membership means, and various things that are going on in the state. This is John Gailey. I'm at the New York State Association meeting in Terrytown. Oh my goodness, we are live, aren't we? I mean, in, in person. I'm here with uh, Jeff Flynn from uh, Gramercy Surgery Center, Vice President of the New York State Association, and John Van Vulkenberg uh, with. Upstate Orthopedics, and the President of the New York State Association. Welcome to the podcast.
10: Thank you. Thanks, John.
1: So, uh, this has been, uh, fantastic. We, you know, we, we were deeply committed to going live no matter what, even if nobody was here and we were simulcasting it from here yeah. with as many people as would come. So, uh, congratulations. What a great job this has been. You know, we're coming toward the end of it right now as we're recording this. Uh, we've had a nice, a couple of nice interviews, so we'll be putting it together. Um, but, uh, so I'm going to start with Jeff here. You know, talk a little bit about the program committee and all the work that went into that because this has been a long time planning, uh, you know,
10: Yeah, actually, it's been, you know, we've had to postpone this three times now. Mm -hmm. Um, The best thing about it coming forward again is our vendors coming to support us. Mm -hmm. And the fact that everyone was coming together for the first time, the energy was amazing that people were able to be together networking for the first time and it's not on a TV screen. That's right. That was wonderful. And the vendors really appreciated it. Actually, we were getting vendors literally we st- came in on Tuesday we got our last vendor on Monday so people were rushing to get here just to get in front of people right. so
1: and that's actually not true because we brought a vendor in Oh that's right we did the, bring the door, a vendor so, in yeah, we
10: on Tuesday that. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely right so the conference has been extremely successful from the standpoint as we've been able to afford the conference with yeah. the support of our vendors but we were able to really put a lot of time in, so there was a lot of networking time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sit-down dinner was great, and just the program and the content of the program consistently has been excellent. And certainly you had a big part of that all, also. Thank you. Thank
1: you. John? John? First of all, we, we gave you an award for an incredible job. You know, he, he's, he's going to turn, he's going to blush here, which nobody <laughs> can see. Um, and, and this is not at all the way John likes things to be done, but we snuck around behind his back and uh, put together this award. And, and, uh, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to put you on the spot on that. I just want to say what an incredible job you've done over the last. Uh, two years, and uh, you certainly deserve that award. So uh, enough about that. Tell me a, a little bit, because you, you spoke quite a bit about what's going on in the State Association during it. Uh, here's your opportunity to kind of tell our those that weren't able to attend the conference, uh, you know, some of those things that you discussed.
11: Yeah, uh, absolutely. And first off, just, you know, with regards to the conference, I just wanted to to echo what, what you said and, and what Jeffrey said. I mean, it's it's been amazing. Um, we went into this really not knowing what to expect. Again, like you said, we were fully committed to it we yep. didn't know if we we were going to get cancellations we didn't know what the vendor response would be we didn't know how we would you know we we just didn't know yeah. you know and Personally, I think, and in, in, in over the past three years, we've our conferences. I think have gotten better, and mm-hmm. uh, the attendance has gone up. Mm-hmm. This is our highest attendance ever with regards to attendees. It's our also highest uh, attendance ever with regards to uh, and sponsors and vendors. So, and,
1: th- and think about what you just said there. So, this is the third conference I've attended in the last uh, week and a half, mm-hmm. and none of those other states that i was in can say that yeah so here we are post-pandemic yeah. with the highest participation that we've ever had
11: yeah yeah and, and, and it's and that's, say a lot. And that, yeah that says a lot um you know it says a lot about you know i think the effort that the programming committee put into planning this mm-hmm. i think it says a lot about you know our membership and uh in 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 where everybody's at. and again we took you know the the, the hotel did a great job mm-hmm we have lots of space you know so we're able to do you know good spacing and take all necessary precautions um but um uh, again i mean it it's just been a great program we've gotten great feedback Mm -hmm. and like you said everybody's just just happy to to be able to network again you know it's interesting um you know i all the people that i've seen here you know, I haven't seen them in two years. I, I, I really haven't or seen li- them in not two in years. person. You know, we've seen a lot of people right, on Zoom right. sessions. No, I like haven't that. seen them in person. Yeah, yeah. In two, and these are people that, you know, we oh. typically have two conferences a year. Right, right. You know, these people go to that. Sometimes you go to other conferences and you see these people. So, yeah. you know, um, so that's, that's really been wonderful. And, and again, I'm, I'm really glad how this turned out. It makes me really excited about the spring. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I'll kind of throw a little plug for that, but uh, we're going to have our, we're already started planning our spring conference the programming committee we've set some dates for it uh, may 10th and 11th of 2022 Mm -hmm. at the saratoga hilton uh, new venue for us yeah new venue in saratoga springs yeah new venue we're excited about that Uh, i think it's going to suit us really well um, particularly with our growth Mm -hmm. Um, you know i i I think this probably would have been more well attended obviously Mm -hmm. if we weren't still you know in the third wave of the pandemic or whatever so you know, hopefully, you know, knock on wood, uh, when spring rolls around, uh, you know, I expect to have an even bigger conference yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, and we're really looking forward to that. And, and and maybe even, you know, we were talking about it a little bit earlier, but the content has been wonderful. Yeah. And, and obviously we try and pack in as much as possible. But I mean, the networking was just so nice. That's one thing I feel. I just say, boy, I wish I had some, even though we had yeah. plenty of time to do it, like, you know, our cocktail hour and a half last night, a two hour dinner, lots of networking, but I'm going to leave here wanting to do more more networking. You know what I mean? I want to see more people. I didn't get to talk to everybody. I wanted to. So, and I
1: and I get kicked out of three places. I got kicked out of the cocktail party at the, when it ended because yeah. they wanted to get us onto dinner. Then right. we got kicked out of the uh, rest, you know, the the yeah. the, the meal room because yeah. that they wanted to clean the place right. up. And then we got kicked out of the bar at the end. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. <I> mean, <laughs> you couldn't stop it. Everybody wanted to yes. be, uh, you know, talking. It, it was a late night, but it was incredible. You're right. I mean, it seemed like there was still things that we wanted to talk about with our colleagues that we yeah. hadn't had a chance. Yeah, to
10: do. actually, one of the ideas that John and I were talking about is extending it now Mm -hmm. you know we've always done this start in the evening full day next day but maybe especially with saratoga yeah you know everyone can arrive in saratoga around noon Mm -hmm. you know it's more centralized for everybody so that's an idea where floating is so that there is more time for the content so we're not just packing everything in and allowing people more um you know face time with each other for networking yeah
1: and just uh, another plug for saratoga is we're going to be butting it up against uh, a weekend too
10: uh, not
11: quite. We're it's got a Tuesday and a Wednesday. Oh, so, okay. So I mean, you we, can get it down early. Yeah, spend the weekend sure. and then uh, yeah, you know, is yeah, a, yeah, a, a nice place. It's May should venue. be wonderful. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, uh, ideally it would be nice to to be uh, next to a weekend, but you know, availability and everything yeah, like that presents a little bit of a challenge. But again, I th- I think it's going to be great. And we're really looking forward to it.
1: And, again, for our listeners in New York State that have not attended a state association meeting, first of all, we really encourage you to do this. This is the way you find out. Uh, all of our attendees found out about what's going on in the state, uh, you know, what the New York State Association can do for you. And I, I, I still think the most important thing about this is that networking as you oh, said okay. these conferences these sessions are great i have yet to actually attend any other one except for the ones i've been speaking at
11: yeah. um and i still feel like i've gotten an incredible yeah. amount out of
1: it just with that networking
11: yeah ab- absolutely uh you know obviously you can do the you know the learning you know a yeah. lot of that can be done with webinars and things like that yeah. but it's just not it's not the it's same, not the same. Uh, and again, you know, really the, the valuable piece in, in these meetings is the networking.
1: John, talk a little bit about our relationship with uh, Capital Health Consulting. Uh, we brought them on uh, within the last couple of years. And of course, they've been an incredible resource uh, mm-hmm. to us and, and what they bring to the uh, the table for us and how and our relationship with them has transitioned in the yeah, last
11: year. Absolutely. So just under uh, just under three years ago, um, we we brought them on the, the newly formed board of uh of the state association uh did an RFP uh we were looking for government affairs and lobbying mm-hmm. firm um and uh, capital health consulting you know submitted uh, a a proposal uh you know we we interviewed them and to be honest with you we were just kind of we were kind of blown away because they offered not just the lobbying piece mm-hmm. which that's what everybody who responded to the RFP was offering but they offered this particular insight and connection, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on the healthcare side and to the department of health, you know, Lisa is a former department of health mm-hmm. deputy director. She's got multiple people on her staff who normally, held, who previously had leadership positions. And, um, and so it was, it was a great fit for us. Um, you know, so we were off and running with that for the past couple of years, you know, fast forward a little bit, you know, COVID happened. And yeah. I mean that—that's when the value really came in because we were holding, and she was, she was holding essentially. Yeah. Uh, we as an association, but she was leading these daily calls we were doing just to, uh, you know, get Let's the word out that as word. to what was going. on. Daily, daily going calls, daily during the calls, pandemic. Daily. and now
1: we're at every two weeks, and that's yeah. still,
11: you know, I mean, that's still a lot more than many yes. state oh, associations. Ab- absolutely, I mean, that's yeah. all value. Add- that's not what you typically see with the lobbyist, you know what right, I mean? It's right. holding daily or da- certainly daily informational yeah. calls during a pandemic and during a time of crisis. Um, but also, you know, the, the biweekly, uh, mm-hmm. legislative update calls that, that we do, uh, and that we always do and th- that we continue to do. Um, so there was that. And then fast forward to, you know, earlier this year, um, you know, the, the, the state association board, you know, we've been talking for a while, you know, we're growing mm-hmm. and we're growing fast. Um, with regards to members and the, you know, the size of our events. And we said, and we're, we're all volunteer, you know, we right. don't have any staff for the state association. We don't have any employees. And, uh, you know, we identified that, hey, look, uh, you know, if we're going to keep, keep on this path, which is, mm-hmm. which is what our goal, you know, we're going to need some help, um, you know, doing some of the things that they were all already going above and beyond what, yeah. what, what our agreement with them was in, in doing. We're going to need, you know, some more, association type management, um,
1: mm-hmm.
11: services, you know, some additional help in planning the conferences, some additional help in, in, in getting, uh, you know, getting people to the conferences as far as, you know, speakers and people mm-hmm. in the department of health, um, and, you know, help recruiting members and just, yeah. you know, just some organizational help because, again, we were all, uh, doing a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, And, uh, and so we did, so we, we, and it just seemed like a natural fit. They were already doing, we were already doing so much with them. We talked to, I talked to Lisa about it and, uh, and we put something together and it was, it was overwhelmingly, uh, approved or unanimously approved by the board to move forward Mm -hmm. with it. And you know, it's, it's, it's been great so far. We're still, you know, implementing a lot of those Mm -hmm. things, but we've, you know, identified strategies, you know, there's two different things. There's our legislative strategies, but then there's our, our association strategies, <laughs> you know, growth. Educational um, programs. Yeah, educational programming, yeah, everything number like number that. Number. So yeah. they've really, you know, rebranding um, awareness, yeah. you know, not just among legislators, but among ASCs in New York yeah. State and ASCs out of New York State and <clears throat> among insurance payers. And, you know, I mean, you name it, it was just really getting... Uh, you know, getting us out there, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's been going great so far, and uh, you know it's going to continue. We we have some new things that are happening. Um, we have an association management software that we're implementing right now uh, that we're going to roll out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, new website, um, and uh, and you know, so there's going to be more exciting information to come. And again, we're I'm excited just to be you know to be continuing us on that trajectory of. Uh, you know being a real association <laughs> <That's> right <laughs> you know a big boy that's right you know. so um, it's been great
1: you know uh, uh, in the four years that the podcast has been on we we keep track of the statistics and it is still to this day uh New York state represents uh more uh, of uh, in other words it's the highest uh, uh, component of our listening base yeah, California's yeah. second I think Florida is somewhere around there. Um, so it's important uh, for all of you listeners out there. Of course, I'm pointing in the middle of a room that's not doing any good, but, but, uh, but that you understand the value of membership in the, in the the New York state association. Um, and, and there's a lot new, more centers coming up. you know, of course our company has been, developing yeah. many of them um, but uh, it is important that uh, we reach out to them right away and we're reaching out mm-hmm. to you you know through this venue uh, to encourage you to join that you couldn't find a better value proposition we've been talking about uh, value propositions oh, all day long you can't find a better value proposition than the services the state association you know those daily emails someday you might actually be able to get away from daily emails yeah. John but I'm not sure <laughs> yes, when that will be
11: I'm hoping it'll automate a little bit <laughs> that's with, right <laughs> maybe a <laughs> computer will do the new software we're putting into place <laughs> but um so talk a little bit about membership, how you become a member and, uh,
1: the, the value proposition for membership. Yeah, a-
11: a- absolutely. Um, well, in, to become a member, it's pretty simple. Uh, you know, you can always just, uh, reach out to us. The, probably the easiest way to get a hold of us is info at dot org. And we um, will put a link in the, yeah, uh, the show notes yeah, here, but info uh, at dot Yeah. Um, just send an email, say you're interested. You know, whether you're a new facility, an existing facility that just, you know, uh, maybe you're a new leader, uh, you're, yeah. you're new to a leadership position in ASC. And, and we can, you know, we can offer a lot as an association, um, you know, in addition to, you know, updates, mm-hmm. um, you know, calls, obviously everything we do, the education pieces, uh, you know, having these types of events. It's, just, I mean, the people that I've met being a part of the association, the other mm-hmm. ASC leaders throughout the state and having those relationships, you know, that yeah. are all, that are all developed through networking, mm-hmm. um, is just, is invaluable. Like yeah. you said, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's such an obvious value proposition. Yeah. Um, you know, it costs for a facility, it costs $750, uh, dues a year right. to help support the association. And, uh, but really that's, that's money very, very well spent, you know, aside from everything you're getting with regards to information and, and, and access, uh, you know, also our, our primary goal and our role as the association is advocacy. Yeah, right. Yeah. And obviously, you know, when we advocate for surgery centers, we're not just, we're advocating for all surgery centers because obviously mm-hmm. regulation or legislation that affects surgery centers, affects all not just our members but you know mm-hmm. it's important um that you're a member so that you're contributing to that right you, you know because you're everybody's gonna be the beneficiary but you know there's there's no free rides or there shouldn't be you know yeah. and so it, it it's important and it helps support the association and um, again I, we our member retention is very very high yeah. um, we essentially yeah. never have anybody join and say, well, it wasn't worth yeah. it. Wasn't worth the money. And in so much happens, and if you run an ASC, you certainly know it's like it's it's great. You know, ASC is a great organization. Certainly, mm-hmm. I mean, that national organization. There's so much that is done on the federal level, but most of what actually affects us at ASCs mm-hmm. is all on the state level. Yeah. You know, and yeah, directly. Yeah. yeah, it affects us directly. So yeah. we, that's where we really need boots on the ground. Is in mm-hmm. Albany, not not just Wash. Again, Washington's obviously mm-hmm. very important, but we're mostly being affected by what comes out of Albany, whether it's yeah. a vaccine mandate or uh, or a payment policy or or whatever or something from yeah. FIPIC
1: executive orders. Uh, and- yes, yes.
11: So you know, it's that's it, it is it is absolutely critical, um, and you know, we're we're looking to grow um, New York State you mentioned the growth of surgery centers in new york state and mm-hmm. that's definitely been accelerating obviously it's been steady for a while it's somewhat limited by the con process but mm-hmm. you know there because there are limited surgery centers in new york state that and more and more cases are transitioning i mean they're just there's a, just a demand and that yeah. demand's going to keep growing and that's why you know it's a tidal wave and, and nothing's really going to stop, stop it, it. so you know, I, I, there's been surgery centers. I don't know how many have opened in the last year, but yeah. a, a bunch of them, you know, we've even, only, even in, the midst, of, yeah. right, even yeah. in yeah. the midst of a pandemic. Yeah. So that's going to keep happening. So, again, you know, bringing those bringing those people in, reaching out to those new facilities, bringing them in, um, you know, because, again, that's the other thing. We also want to make sure we want all the ASCs in New York to do well, you know, not just because there are members, but because uh, – you know we want um you know we want to look good as an mm-hmm. industry you know we want to make sure we're doing the right thing yeah. we want to make sure we're yeah, we have a good reputation and and the way to do that is obviously is to you know uh get together and uh and, and really try and, and help all the facilities because again collectively it, it was how we're, we're looked at collectively mm-hmm. so um you know, it's it is it's it's really important that there's some coordination mm-hmm. with all these independent surger- all these independent surgery centers.
1: I think another important element of membership in the New York State Association is access to vendors. Um, so I'm looking at you, <laughs> Jeff. You're, you're the one that. Okay, now, I, here's a trick question. Do you know of any uh, missing vendors? In other words, if we want to run a su- surgery center, is there any? Uh, company that's missing from our mix here at the New York State Association you in know, a membership it's a, mix.
10: It's a blend each time. Some yeah. of the, we're gonna focus in the uh in the spring for more of the equipment companies mm-hmm. to that's come That's good on.
1: point. But uh, there are some here already. There are but, some yeah. here
10: already, but yeah. you know, targeting like a striker and some of the mm-hmm. others now that there's more and more ortho centers going into place too.
1: And I don't think we have any financing companies here like banks. So I uh, no. shout out to people call us up. We could use a bank here yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely.
10: Yeah. And I think with the vendors here, the, the effectiveness of walking through one of these conferences is that you really can get ideas for your centers just mm-hmm. by tapping from each table at the vendors, yeah. vendor table um, and finding out what's new. They're very often the people that educate us on what's coming out, mm-hmm. what's coming down the pike. And how about getting that in, into your center mm-hmm. from a finance standpoint, from whether it's through the company or, or just even cost value of performing cases. It's, you know, going through the whole vendor exhibit, you're definitely going to leave educated yeah. from this meeting. Whether you're starting out day one, then you're going to be like a sponge and get everything. Right. Or some of us who are dinosaurs now and have been here forever, <laughs> same situation as to how much we learn every year from each yeah. vendor. And we've learned to depend on them for that information.
1: Absolutely. And they're a big story. We just uh, interviewed uh, Chris and Craig. Uh, About the vendor relationship, Uh, so talk a little bit about um, as we prepare to go into. First, you know, we know a lot of our listeners are also vendors here because Mm -hmm, they like mm -hmm. that, which is great because it means that they try to keep on top of what's going on in the industry. They know what, um, you know, what our what our centers are looking for. Talk a little bit about as we end here. um, You know, the uh, the vendor relationships, the importance of being here. And, and the dangers of not being you know seen at these conferences as we go into the spring?
10: Oh, I think I've never really gotten, each time that we've had the conference, people wanted to always come back. Mm-hmm. And then other people hear about the meetings. They also hear, and one of the things we've set up is kind of an informal ad hoc committee of vendors who you've mm-hmm. just interviewed who've been with us for several years. Absolutely. They can actually tell you what the value of it is. And mm-hmm. if a company says, I've been here seven or eight years, and this is the value I feel I get from this each time. And this is what you can get from it. If you're here a few times, it's Mm -hmm. not just like a one and done. You're developing relationships with each of these people. We know, Mm -hmm. like for instance, I'll tell you our top vendor now, Napa, who's here. Mm -hmm. Um, we've known Gail for years, everybody Mm -hmm. knows her, and it's something to talk about. So the thing is, if you're looking to outsource anesthesia per se, Mm -hmm. you're walking up and there's a familiar face that can tell you, is that for your center or not? And Mm -hmm. there's somebody to talk to. Um, the software companies certainly they've always been there the the it support in that sense has been Mm -hmm. there too but a number of the other companies like if we take for instance just um we were talking about it before the centers with workers comp yeah not knowing what to do when you're not being paid and stuff like that and you know then there's a vendor about that here and they can Mm -hmm. actually take you through the process Mm -hmm. of what you should do is that for you or is it not for you yeah it's never really a hard sell either. As they come here and get to know us, they're looking for relationship yeah. development too.
1: And understanding the importance of being here consistently because mm-hmm. it, you know, I'll speak, you know, from our company, you know, sometimes it, it, we, we never sell something right away. Right. It's, you know, it's uh, 3 years later they call us yeah. up and I remember seeing you and uh, I know you've been at every conference. Right. Uh, I need your services right now so that people can't expect immediate results. And I don't think they do expect immediate yeah. results, no. but it is important mm-hmm. to understand that.
10: No, and certainly just as a situation, because I know you're not going to mention it, your company has been tremendously helpful. I mean, your staff helping us right from the beginning, from the programming standpoint to the technical points to registration. Mm-hmm. Certainly, we couldn't have pulled this conference off without you no. and your support, too. We really appreciate that. Thank you so much, and we're certainly glad to do that.
1: Well, this has been a pleasure, as always. I enjoy that. I know we're going to be on stage in a few minutes, so yes. we better get going. <laughs> uh, thanks again, and uh, uh, we'll talk to you later. Thank you, John. Thanks.
0: We would like to thank our sponsors, Surgical Information Systems, providing cutting edge information solutions for surgery providers, and Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, the nation's leading regulatory compliance resource for ambulatory surgery centers. For more information about our sponsors, visit our website at ascpodcast.com. This podcast has been an educational and operational tool and is not intended to be a comprehensive resource for all rules, regulations, and standards that an ambulatory surgery center must meet. The advice provided should not be considered as nor does it constitute legal advice or opinion. When reviewing specific situations involving legal and regulatory issues, attorneys and other professionals should be consulted. This has been a production of Eden Group Development. All rights are reserved. If you're interested in advertising or sponsoring the ASC podcast with John Gailey, please email us at info at We would love to hear your questions and comments. Please email us at comments at